Welcome to America's Commercial Real Estate Show, your source for market intelligence, forecasts, and success strategies. Hello, I'm Michael Ball. Thank you for being with us. This segment is brought to you by BOMI.org. That's B-O-M-I. They are the industry standard for education and training related to facilities and property management. Check them out at BOMI.org. Well, every year, once a year, I do my Christmas present show, if you will, kind of my gift to business development people, salespeople, uh, commercial real estate agents, or anybody that's really trying to grow or promote a business. And this year I've been asked to share some of the strategies that are in my training uh, series for commercial agents called commercialagentsuccess.com. Now these are 21 one-hour videos that are packed full of information to help really commercial real estate agents uh, be more successful. And it's really designed for experienced commercial agents, uh, but anybody who's in sales or, or starting out will also benefit from them. So what I've done is picked a few things from those series that would be helpful to you if, you're a, if you negotiate real estate transactions, if you hire agents or engage them, uh, or if you're, do, have, you're involved in any business where you're doing sales or development, negotiation and things like that. So let's talk about the first one. Uh, one this video is called Promoting Your Services in Brand. Now, I've spoke uh, in in large groups and did this one-hour presentation. Everybody loves it. So one of the things I thought I'd pick out here is think about this as uh, a brand. You are your brand. So regardless if you uh, are an agent at a large company or you are uh, an individual at at a company, you are your brand. And, you know, think about that. If you look around your office or think about the people that you work with at different companies, don't you think of them sort of as a brand? When you think of their name or you meet them, you think of their brand. And what impacts that brand? One could be uh, their clothes. It might be uh, their car. It might be the correspondence. It could even be their posture. It could be their attitude. Are they positive? Are they negative? Do you find them successful? Do you find them organized? So think about that as you promote your own brand and how you think about how you go about everyday uh, life. Uh, Are the clothes you're wearing promoting the brand and what you want to promote? Look at uh, people in your office. Look at their desk. Look at their organization. You know, what brand is that uh, promoting to you? What do you think about them from that? And uh, look at their emails. I know a lot of times I see emails and offers and LOIs and proposals and contracts, and you get an idea of that person's brand from that, don't you? Let me share with you something that uh, I've learned over the years. Um, Once, when I was a very young man, my broker brought me into his office. He had noticed that I was running around. I was very motivated. I was working a lot of hours every day. I was running a property management company. I was going to college at night. I was starting to sell real estate part-time, and he brought me back in the, in the carpet, and he asked me, he said, Michael, what motivates you? And he caught me off guard, so I said what came from my heart, and this is what I said to him. I just feel like if I do the absolute best job I can at whatever I'm doing, I will get more opportunities. Now think about that. If you work that way, people will notice it. If whatever you're doing, you do the best job you can, you can it will get noticed and it will help create your brand. It will present more opportunities. 
So think about your brand in that way. Now, another uh, item in your brand could be your social media, right? So maybe you're in a business that is heavily involved in social media. Maybe you touch on it some, but there are people that maybe get an idea of your brand from social media. So I'll give you a few tips there. Uh, one is to think about your perfect customer or client. Think about the interest to them and think about your business, your service, in terms of their eyes and their view. So if you're posting social media, then you want to post information that's valuable to that prospect. Uh, for example, I've seen uh, agents at times that help companies with their space, they with corporate services, their, their tenant reps, and, and things like that, and they're promoting things that are interesting to other agents. Well, is that your... Is, your, is that your client? Is that your customer? Uh, probably not. Your main customers are the people who use space uh, in your market area. So think about what's interesting to them. Also, when you think about your own brand, think about your own bio. And when you look at your, your, your packages, your marketing presentation, your website, your services, your, your bios in different places, including your website, how do they read to the person that you're trying to help? Really, how, when you reach out to them, what do they think in their eyes about what they see from looking at those things? Now, in that video of uh, promoting your services and brand, we have a lot more information, so you're welcome to check that out. It's at commercialagentsuccess.com. Let's talk about another item that can be very important to you no matter what you do related to commercial real estate. And I'm, this is one of the items that we cover in the video, closing the bid-ask gap. Now, you do have to say that carefully. Closing the bid-ask gap, negotiating transactions, right? So I'll give you uh, one of the tips from, from that video. Uh, one is stop emailing and texting negotiations. You know, I see negotiations fall apart. I seek miscommunication. Um, I get it. Technology helps us a lot. But we can also let te technology run away and keep us from, from being as productive as we should. When you think about it, we're dealing with people. And when you text or when you email, you don't have that one-on-one. -on -one. You can't ask questions. You can't see how something is, is how they're relating to it, the nonverbal cues. Um, you know, you can't get their, their opinion on it. And sometimes things come across wrong in email. Sometimes we're in a hurry or we don't think about it and we can write something away that they, maybe we thought it was a joke or something uh, or it was just a quick email and it comes across wrong. So anytime you can meet with people when you're negotiating anything. If you can't meet with them, try to do it uh, at least on the phone if you can, instead of just shooting things out by email. We want to use technology, but we don't want to use it in a way that hurts our clients or hurts our business. You know, you don't want to negotiate transactions through email or through some technology or marketing system. You want to pick, meet with people, pick up the phone, you'll get a lot more things done. Another item for closing the bid-ask gap, you notice I'm saying it carefully, is if you're a seller or you're an agent um, or you're a buyer, encourage offers. You know, just because someone is not offering in the beginning something that you think is going to work, you know, encourage them to get that, make that offer and let's get the discussion started. Let's get people involved in the process uh, because 
maybe you are a seller or a listing agent and everybody you talk to wants to come in way below and you're discouraging that. Well, I wouldn't do that. One, you may, the seller may kind of see, well, I guess that's the market. I was asking eight million, everybody's coming in at seven million. So maybe I sh if I want to sell at the top of the market, what interest rates are low, I want to sell in this cycle, maybe I should sell it for what it would bring if it's being marketed well. Um, so encourage offers. Um, also, you want to encourage counter offers. Sometimes sellers can get an offer and they don't like it. Maybe you're, you're a seller. All of us have been in that way. Somebody makes an offer, we're like, ah, he's nowhere close. I don't even want to bother with it, right? Well, you want to bother with it. You, if the buyer is qualified, if you're using a, a buyer, for example, rather than tenant, if the buyer is qualified and they're pre-managed on the deal, you know how they're funding it, and they just didn't come with the right offer, I would, and, and, it, and, and depending on what other offers you have and what's going on, the timing, a lot of times it's best if you go ahead and make a, a counter offer and get that out and let the agent uh, do their job. You know, for instance, I'm an agent, I'm an active commercial broker. And if I get a counter from a, from a seller client, for example, um, now I have the opportunity to go back to the buyer and share it with them and share with them why this might be a good opportunity for them to acquire this property. If I don't have that written counter, then I don't have something I can go back to and show it to the purchaser, share with them the benefits, and if they sign it, they have got this deal moving forward. If it's an LOI, it's moving forward letter of intent. Maybe it's a purchase sale agreement and they actually have the property under their control. So, so try to encourage counteroffers. Now here's a tip with counteroffers. If you're a seller or an agent or attorney, think about having a price range that a seller can counter without delay. Let me give you an example. Let's say that the property is listed for $8 million and uh, you want to let your agent, your team that representing you to market the property, have one person at the seller's entity that is can counter offers down to maybe 7.5 million without going to a board or going to a partner approval process. Sometimes time kills deals, right? And you want to be able to counter. You want to. You don't want to just have to say no, no, no. You want to get people involved in the process, right? So sometimes having that approval up front from the board of the partners that, the, that somebody on the seller side can authorize and counter to at least some certain level without delays can be a great way to do that. Now, let me give you a tip as a buyer. Have your offers in purchase and sale agreement rather than LOI when you can and when it makes sense. So let me explain that. So, if you're a buyer and you present an offer on a letter of intent, um, you negotiate it and the seller signs it, um, do you really have that property under control or under contract? No, you don't. Uh, letters of intent typically say they're non-binding, right? So when it's possible, when the seller will do it, uh, when you're comfortable with it, uh, write your offer in a purchase and sale agreement. That way if the seller does, you get to terms with the seller and you signed it, you don't have that vulnerability time frame of between the LOI and contract that your offer can be shopped or, uh, or, or something else can happen, time kills deals. Um, another item with closing the bid-ask gap that I would recommend is time limits in letters of intent to go to lease or go to contract. Now I've had great arguments on on our show with some really smart attorneys who said, Michael, you don't need time limits to go to, to a lease. 
uh, in a letter of intent because it's non-binding, doesn't make sense, or in a sales offer LOI. So why do you need a, a time frame? Well, this is why. Time kills deals, right? Especially if you're an agent, you, once a letter of intent is signed, you want your client to honor their agreement. You want your client to honor their commitment in that letter of intent. But how long should they honor it? It shouldn't be just unlimited time frame. So if you're rep, one of, you make an offer, letter of intent, I get to agreement, and my seller client agrees to it, um, I want to put a time limit. Maybe it's seven days, maybe it's whatever time period, depending on the size of the deal. But I expect my client to honor that letter of intent. Now, I can't make him do what he doesn't want to do if the letter of intent says it's non-binding. But I can certainly recommend that he absolutely do that. So I would have a time limit in any letter of intent as far as a time limit of that offer. And then a time limit, if it is uh, executed, to go to either a formal lease or formal sales contract. It can also keep people on a timeline, right? Uh, keep people, keep the process moving forward. Help everyone's expectations and communications be the same. Well, all right, well, I'm going to take a short break. When we come back, I'm going to give you some more tips from our commercial agent success strategies uh, training series. And there are going to be some more tips that whether you're a principal, advisor, or you're in any way involved in commercial real estate, it'll add value to you. Stay with us. I'm Michael Bull. This is America's Commercial Real Estate Show. Would you like to be the top producing commercial broker in your office? Check out Michael Bull's video training. Since you're a show listener, you receive 10% off your first purchase. At checkout, use discount code CREshow. Visit commercialagentsuccess.com. Are you looking for proven property management and facilities management education? Visit BOMI.org. That's B-O-M-I, Building Owners and Managers Institute International. They are the trusted source for education in the property and facilities industry. Visit BOMI.org. Are you looking to buy, sell, or lease commercial real estate? You're invited to contact Bull Realty for customized asset and occupancy solutions. Call 404-876-1640 or visit bullrealty.com. Welcome back to America's Commercial Real Estate Show. I'm Michael Bull. This segment is brought to you by my company, Bull Realty. For asset and occupancy solutions, call me or visit bullrealty.com. Well, today I am sharing information for buyers, sellers, principals, vendors, brokers, and I'm pulling information from my education series, Commercial Agent Success Strategies, that would help really anybody in the commercial real estate industry. This is kind of my holiday show gift to everyone. And I'm pulling some information uh, off the one hour training video called Say This, Not That. And uh, it's one of my favorite videos. It's incredibly valuable if you're, you're in sales, especially if you're in commercial real estate sales or, or leasing. And one of the things I'd like to uh, talk about on that is a buyer or a tenant paying the broker's fee. So if you're an investor, a buyer, a user, uh, and you're buying or leasing space, and you come in the situation where maybe the agent says, hey, uh, on this one, uh, can you underwrite our fee? Should you do that? Well, let's look at the situation. So if you are a agent 
and you are representing a buyer or a tenant exclusively, um, and you want to help them out, uh, obviously. So you want to show them all the opportunities. And sometimes you want, you want to present them an opportunity where the buyer or your client is paying your fee. And sometimes using the word paying your fee, sometimes especially with users or tenants, kind of makes them uncomfortable. Uh, so like anything else in life, in personal life and in business life, a lot of times it comes down to communication skills, right? So in say this, not that, that's what we work on. So how can you communicate that better as a, uh, a broker to help a client understand the value to them of actually paying your fee on a transaction? Well, let's think about this. What if a buyer or tenant has five opportunities that match their criteria? On four of them, the agent's being paid by the seller or landlord. On one of them, the buyer has to pay the fee but that one is the best deal even after paying the fee. Don't you want to have that opportunity as a buyer or tenant? Yes, you do. You don't care who's paying what, closing costs and, uh, and, and costs involved with the transaction. You just want the best deal for your business, uh, for your investment, your opportunity. And you want to see all the opportunities. So as a principal, don't be afraid of that because uh, you're going to underwrite the deal based on all the cost. And that gets to a communication word I would use as an agent. I wouldn't say that to the, the buyer or the tenant that, hey, on this one you need to pay my deal because are they really paying it? Well, no, what they're really doing is they're underwriting it. They're not gonna do that deal unless it's the best deal in the marketplace. I'll give you an example. I was talking to a, to a client who we signed up to represent that they're going to lease or buy multiple uh, locations for their medical practice. And the gentleman asked me, he said, look, in this representation agreement, it says that, hey, there's potential at least that we will need to underwrite your fee. Tell me about that. So I said, look, it, it, that will only happen if two things both happen. One, the landlord or seller is not offering a fee. That's not typically going to happen. But if it does, that would have to happen. And it would have to be the best deal in the marketplace with all the other options even including our fee. So don't you want to know about that, that, that opportunity? Obviously, yes. And they signed our agreement. If you're not really protecting your agent and, and they're doing all the work to cover every opportunity and researching your business, your criteria, uh, how can you expect them to really put you at the top of the list to really help out? You really want to let your broker know you're going to take care of them and make sure they're paid. So it's all about communication. Let's look at another opportunity. Now, this is from a one-hour video I did called Prospect to Closing. And I'll pick one of the items out that I think would be helpful to, to the majority of people, especially if you're doing uh, purchase or sales uh, of deals. And that is the subject of backup contracts. So a property is under contract to, to a buyer, and there's potential to do a backup contract. Who does that help, and who does that not help? Okay, so who does it help? It helps the seller, obviously, to have a backup contract. It helps the listing agent to have a backup contract. It helps the purchaser who is writing the backup contract. Let's talk about it briefly. Because they're not that much trouble for what they're worth for those three parties. And so if you're a seller, obviously, if you've got a backup contract, under contract, signed, blue ink, earnest money paid, and the purchaser tries to come back and do an unjust retrade. Now, there's not really a good reason that they want to extend time or they want a price reduction. 
then you have the opportunity to say, hey, look, sorry you're going to miss this opportunity. We have a backup buyer we need to move forward on. Uh, please let us know. Uh, go ahead and cancel if you're not moving forward. So it puts you in a better negotiation position for retrades. Um, if you're an agent, obviously, and you re represent the seller, then that's a benefit for you as well. Another benefit for you for an agent is, look, when a transaction goes under contract and it falls through, typically the seller's not going to be real happy with the agent, right, their agent. Uh, clients don't need uh, an agent's help to top their property and have it not close, right? As a principal, you, you want to make sure your agent's really managing a transaction properly, uh, managing expectations, uh, and involved enough in the deal that, that there's a real good chance it closes if it starts. So there's a benefit to the agent there as well, because if you're in this regard, if that deal does fall through, all right, we got another buyer here. So if the uh, seller is upset with you, well, at least you've got a buyer right behind them. Um, it can also be a benefit for the backup buyer. I'll give you an example. Uh, when I was a young man, I found a property that I wanted to buy. I was selling investment properties, found one I wanted to buy, and it was found out it was under contract. I decided to write a backup contract, earn us money, paid it. Then I get a call about a month and a half later, and the listing agent tells me, hey, that deal did not close, and your contract's uh, in full force and effect. So I moved forward. I had to get a loan and do inspection and do that, and did the loan, got approved. And then when I called him and told him it was all set to go, we're ready to close, <laughs> the uh, listing agent tells me, well, Michael, we have a problem. I said, what's that? Well, we are under contract with another buyer. And I said, how could you be under contract with two buyers? He said, well, you're so young and you're a commission-only agent, we didn't think you'd get approved for the loan, so we signed a contract uh, again with the previous buyer. I'm like, well, that wasn't very smart. Like, yeah, we know it wasn't, but that's what we did. So it ended up that they offered me a settlement uh, to go away. So they wrote me a check as a backup buyer uh, to go away. Um, I could tell you uh, several instances, another one that was, was very profitable for the buyer was I was engaged to help a buyer who was an architect, he was a real estate broker, um, and he had found an apartment complex that he was interested in buying, and he asked me to represent him uh, to negotiate the deal, look at the market, the comps, the upside, that sort of thing. Um, when I got there and, and found out about it, it was under contract, and there, the buyers were three attorneys. And so I had my buyer write a backup contract. And he said, well, why are we doing this? I said, well, first of all, it's, it's a great idea to have a backup contract. It doesn't hurt you to do it. And the buyer that's ahead of you has three lawyers. What do lawyers do? They look to protect people, look out for worst case scenarios to protect people. So there's a bigger chance, I think, of three lawyers not closing on the deal. Well, sure enough, they didn't close. Our contract came into play. Um, and, I, and then right before this buyer client of mine, uh, while he was in due diligence, he decided, you know what, I don't think I want this deal anymore. Do you know anyone else would want it? So I checked my Rolodex, <laughs> so you know how old I am, <laughs> and I found somebody that wanted to buy it from him. So he closed on it, closed an hour later with the next buyer, and my buyer client profited a million dollars, and he owned the only property for an hour. If he hadn't have done a backup contract, he would not have made that million dollars. So I think there's a lot of reasons why you want to look at backup contracts, and you want to look at them and make sure that you understand the wording uh, very carefully, who you represent in these deals, um, who does a backup 
contract maybe not benefit. I don't think it hurts them, but it's not beneficial to the buyer in the primary contract because now if they are trying to read a delay, you know, maybe there's some more pressure on them to close and they don't have as much negotiation power. Now, some buyers knowing that will put prohibitions and contracts related to that. So think about that if you're the buyer, seller, lawyer, broker, who you represent when you're going under contract on these things. So that's another way to um, help yourself related to backup contracts. Okay, and you can find more tips like that on that particular video, which is called Prospect to Closing, and you can find it at commercialagentsuccess.com. Now, I'm gonna give you another real good one, whether you're a buyer, seller, landlord, tenant, broker, and this is from a video called The Four R's of Handling Offers. The Four R's of Handling Offers. And this involves multiple offers. So if you're a seller or a listing agent and you're dealing with multiple offers on a property, it can be problematic for the agent's reputation. It can be uh, kind of confusing to all the parties involved, sometimes how to handle it. Let me give you a few tips from this video. Um, and the way I would first think about it is proper communication. Right? If you want to have, you want to have the respect of everyone in a transaction, build your business and career um, and uh, your reputation. So proper communication is key with that. So when you have multiple offers or you get any offer, uh, even one, communicate with the buyer or buyer's agent, if there is one, uh, that you receive the offer. Uh, one, do a buyer interview of sorts with the buyer. Understand their offer and why, what they're going to do for due diligence, what they know about the property, what they've seen about the property, how they're funding it, their decision process. Let the buyer know when the offer was presented. So let's say the example is you're a listing agent and the buyer makes an offer uh, and you present it to the seller and discuss it with the seller. Uh, make sure the buyer knows it was presented. And you know, some of this may seem, well, Michael, of course you do. Well, in practice, especially when there's multiple offers and a lot of business going on, sometimes this, these, this information isn't communicated as well. Uh, also, give the buyer some feedback with the buyer's agent. Let them know it was, it was communicated to the seller. If the seller is not accepting it or countering it right away, let this, the buyer or buyer's agent know why. And if there's other offers, if there's multiple offers, they're waiting on other offers, if, if there's things about the offer that were unacceptable. So communicate with that buyer and let them know. Now here's some benefits to that. One, we talked about reputation. You wanna have a great reputation, whoever you are in a deal. The second is if you're communicating um, and people miss out on deals, but at least they were communicated, they knew what was going on. I think if, you're, if you've bought a lot of properties or you're an agent and you've done a lot of deals, you've realized you've probably presented some offers as a buyer or buyer's agent where the listing agent, you didn't know if it was presented or you didn't know if the, the, if the seller had multiple offers. All of a sudden, you find out it's under contract and your buyer would have paid more if the listing agent would have communicated with you, right? So this can really hurt a seller client when their listing agent is not communicating well. So think about that and, uh, and use communication. Uh, there's a lot of other tips in our video, the four R's of handling offers. Uh, do check it out. Hey, and I hope you enjoyed these tips. Uh, if you want to get a lot more information about doing transactions, uh, being a very successful commercial agent, uh, do check out the website commercialagentsuccess.com. You'll be glad you did.
And uh, thanks for sharing the show. Thanks for connecting with us. Thanks for liking us on Facebook. Thanks for being with us. And uh, if this is the holidays when you watch this, happy holidays. Thanks for watching or listening. Till next week, be sure that you always lead, learn, and laugh and join us for America's Commercial Real Estate Show. America's Commercial Real Estate Show is brought to you by Bull Realty, Asset and Occupancy Solutions, BOMI.org, Property and Facility Management Education, CommercialAgentSuccess.com, video training from Michael Bull. To access these great companies or for more videos, podcasts, and articles, visit CREshow.com.